Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. Amen. When we come here to our passage in Matthew chapter number 4, we come, as I have already mentioned, to a very familiar passage of Scripture. I don't think anyone in this building that has spent uh, any length of time in church or any length of time uh, reading your Bible has uh, become to come to a place in your life to where you do not understand what is taking place in this passage of Scripture. If you have even set out on a journey to begin to read through the New Testament, of your Bible, you'll be just a few chapters in uh, before you are confronted with this story in which we will uh, begin to introduce our thought uh, for this evening. Of course, as you know, this uh, period in Jesus' early part of his ministry uh, follows the uh, moment of of Jesus' baptism and Jesus is led away from his baptism. And then here uh, in chapter number four, the Bible tells us that he was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, and then the Bible says this, to be tempted of the devil. He was being led uh, to that place for the particular purpose of being tempted. Now I can say a lot about that this evening and just uh, how interesting it is that there are uh, times in life where God will lead us to uh, places of testing. God in His sovereignty is not someone that always leads us away from the trials of life and temptations, but at times uh, he, although he does not uh, tempt us, he does allow us to be tempted and will allow us to go through moments in life that will uh, try us and try our faith. And so there's an interesting thought that even the Lord Jesus was not uh, was not exempt uh, from being led for him in this particular passage for the distinct purpose of being tempted of the devil. In verse number two, we find the Lord's weakness. Uh, And no doubt when the devil comes to tempt, he will always exploit areas of weakness in our life. In verse number two, it talks about Jesus having fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And after that fast, the Bible talks about how hungry he was. And no doubt, uh, I would imagine that he would be as you and I would be. Just because this is Jesus does not mean uh, that Jesus does not have, did not have uh, in the days of his earth life, uh, the same struggles and the same flesh and the same uh, operations of what it means to go through an earthly life. Just because he was Jesus did not mean that he did not get hungry. For this this, this text tells us that he got hungry. It does not mean that Jesus did not get weary. John chapter number 4 tells us that Jesus sat on the well because he was wearied from his journey. So we know that Christ in a human body had the same frailties of humanity that we all have. And here we find in verse number three, and I'd love to take verse number three sometime and uh, preach an entire message just on that thought where the Bible says, and when the tempter came. There's so much we can say about those moments when the tempter comes to us. Amen. Here he comes to Jesus and he begins to exploit that human frailty 
guilty uh, and this wasn't sinful it wasn't a point of wickedness or weakness uh, but it was a moment of frailty in his human body from being a hundred percent man uh, although he was a hundred percent God the tempter comes and immediately begins to test and tempt the Lord Jesus in the, mo in, in the area of where he is physically weak in this moment he begins to deal with his hunger his, his, his uh, hunger here he says to Jesus if thou be the son of God command that these stones be made bread he mentions that again in verse number 6 in the second part of his temptation he said if thou be the son of God cast thyself down he goes on to talk about uh, he says in uh, verse uh, number 9 he begins to try to appeal to another part of Jesus when he says all these things will I give thee in verse 9 <coughs> if thou wilt fall down and worship me. I would say this this evening, if Jesus was just like you and I, we probably would not take too well to know that we are who we are and to have someone call into question who we are. Here he said, if thou be the Son of God. Said it twice in the text. You know just as well as I know that Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew he was the Son of God. He was there where the very rascal that is talking to him uh, was, uh, was formed in the, uh, in the very beginning and was given his purpose, amen, as one of the angels of heaven. And then the fail, he was there at the very moment where Lucifer became the devil he was around before Lucifer was ever around and he knows this and now Lucifer as the devil comes to him and says if thou be the son of God if you and I were Jesus here we would be tempted to say you dirty rascal let me prove to you who I am but that's not the solution that Jesus resolved himself to Every time the devil came tempting, and again, this is another message for another day. I'm just using this as a jumping off place this evening. But the solution that Jesus gives is not to show himself to be the Son of God, but rather to speak the Scriptures. In the moment of temptation, Jesus does not give way to Satan's, de uh, Satan's deception, <coughs> but rather reminds him of what the Bible has to say. Here this evening, I want to uh, give you, and, I, and I'll, I'll do just a few this evening and give you some more as the Lord leads down the road, but I want to give you what I'm calling tonight some words about the Word. Some words about the Word. Recently, I was, as y'all remember, or at least I hope you do, we hadn't been too far away from it, but recently I preached a series of messages for several weeks entitled, Why Every Christian Should Want Good Preaching. And in that series, I, uh, as you would imagine, the subject came up. I'd studied a little bit about the Word of God. 
You know, the source from which all good preaching stems from. I couldn't even study on the subject of preaching without at the same time studying on the Word of God. And so as I began to, I was studying over here, and I had my notepad in front of me, and every time there was something that come about uh, come up about the Bible, uh, that would encourage me, or that would challenge me, or that would stir me, or that would bless me, or that would even convict me. I began to make some notes about what the Bible says about itself. And I want to begin tonight to give you a few thoughts that the Lord gave me in those times. And I hope it'll be a blessing to you. I, I appreciate that. I, I, somebody did give me water. It's just down there. And I wasn't taking the time to go get it. I appreciate that, Brother Jeremy. Thank you. Appreciate all the people that bring me waters. I probably have four or five of them before the night's over. Amen. But here in Matthew chapter number 4 and verse number 4, and then go with me to Luke chapter 4 and verse 4, I want to look at another uh, telling of this story. And then I, I'll, give you, I'll give you one of the thoughts this evening. This may not be much more than just simple Bible study this evening. I, I'm, I'm doing my best not to keep you long. So I'm just going to give you a few of them. Luke chapter 4, verse 4, the passage of the uh, Lord's temptation is seen here. And notice what he says in verse number 4. In Matthew 4, 4, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone. Remember, the devil is dealing with him about the need for bread, the need for food, him being hungry. He told him, command these stones, all of the stones lying around in the wilderness. You, if you are who you say you are, and you're the Son of God, and you are God manifest, in the flesh. You have the power to look at stones and make them whatever you want to make them. Make them bread so you're not hungry anymore. He says, man, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what shall man live by? Man shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 4. Just another way of saying this. The Bible said, and Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I believe if Matthew 4 tells us anything, it tells us just in short this evening, uh, while it tells us many things, one of the things that we can make note of tonight is it tells us how valuable the word of God is in man's life in the days of our life, in the moments that we live. And so Matthew 4, 4 and Luke 4, 4, I believe teaches us the lesson that we are to live by every word of God. Matthew said, live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Luke 4, 4 says that we are to live by every word of God. Now I'll say this, that's easier to preach and to say and to understand than it is to live. Jesus said our life should be by every word of God. Let me ask you tonight, what words are you not living? What words of God's Word, what passage, what verse, what, uh, what chapter, what book are we still yet to be living? And I'm not talking about Bible prophecy. 
We're getting there one day. But I'm talking about the practical day-to-day life truths, not uh, where we're going to be living soon as a, as a world in the, on the world stage. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the daily practical application of Scripture. What verse is there in your life? What verse is there in my life that we have decided to skip over? We read it and we know we need to deal with it, but I'm just not going to do that today. I'm not going to do that this week. That's just too hard right now. And by the way, I know that in our Baptist churches, just as well as I would suppose any other church of any other denomination, there are hordes of people all over the world that call themselves Christians that are not living by every word of God. And I know, I know that until we get a perfect body, we're not going to be able to live perfectly. That's not what I'm trying uh, to instill in us. But what I am, what I am trying to encourage us in is to remind us that Jesus said that man shall live by every word of God. It's not to us to pick and to choose which ones we choose to live in. Jesus said that we shall live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He said in Luke's gospel, by every word of God. We need to be reminded of that this evening. Amen. Now go with me to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. I told you it's going to be a Bible study tonight. Luke chapter number 2. Look with me at verse number 29. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Of course, we're headed toward December. This will probably be one of yours. And I, at least I hope it is. It's a story where the Lord's born. In Luke chapter number 2, but in particular the passage, the portion rather of this chapter that I want to point out to you uh, happens just a little while after the birth of the Lord. Our Lord in this passage is an infant. He's a small child. He's in the temple, and he comes into contact through Mary and Joseph, his, his mother, and his, I guess you would say, his adopted father, his earthly father. They bring him in contact by bringing him to the house of God. They bring him in contact with a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon, honestly, is one of my favorite characters in the Word of God. He is one of the most interesting men, and his words here in this passage of Scripture, while I'm not going to take the time to preach them, we'll read them, and uh, they are quite convicting to me every time I read in this chapter. Look at verse 25, just for the sake of the context. The Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And again, that's another message for another day. I believe when I first became the pastor of this church, I think I preached an entire service on that waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm not going to do that at this time. Look, read with me in verse 26. The Bible says, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death, before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, God told him that you'll see the Messiah before you'll see the grave. And so Simeon lived in light of that truth that God had revealed to him. Look at verse 27. 
And the Bible says, and he came by the Spirit into the temple. I, I think it's very interesting that this man was led of God to go to God's house. He was a Spirit-filled man. The Bible says, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. I believe here we're talking about circumcision and other things. Verse 28, the Bible said, Then took he him up in his arms and blessed him. I, I preached a little bit on verse 28 about how, how amazing it is that this person who uh, probably very well could have been a perfect stranger to Mary and Joseph snatches up uh, their baby and begins to speak and to bless the Lord. And, uh, and, and we do not see them actively fighting to get him back. I believe that indicates that this is a very supernatural and very spiritual moment. And no doubt Mary and Joseph probably was able to key into that just a little bit. But verse 28, the Bible says, Then took he, speaking about Simeon, him, speaking about Jesus, up in his arms, and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace. And here's the phrase I want you to see this evening. According to thy word. Verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He is calling Jesus the salvation of God in verse 30. And no doubt he is. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. There was no hiding in what is going on here. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled. Speaking about Jesus' mother there marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. I believe that's prophetic. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. Verse 35, I believe, is speaking of the cross. When he says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. Also Simeon, speaking directly to Mary, says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Here in these, these prophetical words of Simeon, we find him mentioning as he opens up in his discourse and begins to bless the Lord. He says, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace. Not just depart from the temple, not just depart from that moment of time, but he's talking about departing from the world. He's talking about embracing a moment of death. He said God had told him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon here realizes that he has seen the Lord's Christ. He realizes that he has seen the Messiah. And now he has had in his life fulfilled uh, the, the, the last thing that God had spoken to him of. And now he was ready to leave the world because of God confirming and, uh, and fulfilling his word in Simeon's life. The, the, the part of this I want you to see is the fact that made Simeon so ready to embrace death and to be ready to leave this world was the fact that God's word had been accomplished. He said, according to 
to thy word. I'm living in accordance to thy word. I see my life lining up with what you've said and now there's great peace in my heart and in my life and I'm ready to leave this world because my life has now lined up to the word. It is in accordance to the word of God. So I see here in this passage that not only are you and I uh, to live by every word of God, but we are uh, to have a desire for our lives to be lived according to God's word. I'll say this, until uh, we get to that place where we can look at our lives and say, God, I can look at this area and this area and this area of my life and see my life is lining up with your word. You will not have the same kind of peace that Simeon was able to have. You will not have the same kind of peace to depart this world until we get to a place to where our lives are lined up with the word of God. If you, I'm not saying that there's no peace for a Christian that that doesn't have all their T's crossed and I's dotted. As I've said before, we will not get there uh, perfectly in this life. But I believe that Simeon had a desire, amen, to have his life line up with God's word toward him. And I believe we should as well, amen. And until we get to that place to where we have done what we can and we have trusted God to help in the areas that we cannot to allow us to see our lives line up with the word of God, we won't be ready to leave. You look at someone who's lived an entire life, even as a Christian, that they have not been faithful to God. And you ask them, are they ready to leave? They will leave the world with regrets. They'll, they'll, they'll be on their deathbed with uh, fears of what the judgment seat will look like for them and all the loss of reward. There'll be anything but peace in the crossing for someone that has lived their life askew from what God's desires for them is, according to to thy word, he says. In Matthew 4, 4, when we looked at that thought just a moment ago, we see that Jesus wants the deeds of our life to be lined up with his word. I believe in Luke chapter number 2 and in verse number 29, we see that we should have a desire to have our lives line up with the word. Jesus' words in Matthew 4, 4, it's talking about a present practice of our lives lining up with scripture and being by the word of God and following the scriptures and the events of our life. But here in Luke chapter number two, in the story of Stephen, and excuse me, of Simeon and Simeon's words, we see him speaking about a prospect of his life. He was excited that now God has brought him this far and he's able to look at the end of his life where his life has lined up with God according to his word. And that ought to be the place that we desire to get to. Before we leave this world, we ought to have a desire to have more of our life lined up with God's Word than we did in the time previous. I believe Simeon teaches us that. Now go with me tonight to Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to very briefly mention this. I believe personally 
that we're going we're gonna to look at verse number 23 in particular. But I believe that there's many different ways of applying Matthew chapter number 13 and also its comparison passages in Mark chapter 4 verse 1 through 20 and then Luke chapter 8 verse 4 through 15. Here in Matthew chapter 13 and beginning in verse number 1, we find Jesus and he is having a discussion with great multitudes that are gathering together and he gives a word. The Bible says in verse 2 that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the, sto- on the shore, and then he begins to speak to them in parables, and he begins to give them what we have known to us as the parable of the sower. Of course, here the parable of the sower, I don't have time to read the, uh, te- the, this, these tw- uh, 20 plus verses that uh, give us this parable. But it, but here it is talking about uh, the reception of seed. The Bible says, verse 3, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds, seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, uh, and the Bible talks about that there. Verse 7, some fell among thorns. Verse 8, and other fell into good ground. And then the Bible says in verse number 9, Who, uh, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In Verse number 18, Jesus gives the, uh, gives the interpretation of this parable. He said, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. And when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word by and by, he is offended. He also that received seed among the the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. Verse 23 says, But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. When I look at these verses, and I look at this chapter, there are many different ways that I believe we can take this parable and apply it. I do believe that there is a there is a great amount of prophetical words in Jesus's parable of the sower. I believe we can look at this and see comparisons throughout church history of how different groups of people throughout different dispensations of time and aeons of time have received God's Word and how they responded to it. I believe we can see that. But what I want to simply mention tonight is just a practical, as I've said, a practical word about the Word of God. And in verse 23 we see that he talks about he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it.
which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. My question to you this evening is how do you receive the Word of God? I understand there will be some that do not understand it as it is talked about in the text. I understand that there will be some that will allow tribulation and persecution and other, and other things in life, difficult days to, as the Bible says, uh, cause them to be offended and uh, that, that, that it will not, uh, the Word will not take root in them. I realize that there will be some that hear the Word and the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke the Word and it will cause them to become unfruitful. But the reality in our lives as to how we've received God's Word is when you hear it and you understand it. Does the Word of God, amen, have enough sway in your life to allow you to become fruitful? Have you allowed the Word of God to germinate in your life and produce fruit in your Christian life? I'm telling you tonight, I would love to be a Christian that bears a hundredfold for God. I'd love to be a Christian that bears 60-fold and 30-fold and multiply fruit for God's glory. But if I'm going to do that, and if you're going to do that, you've got to be a Christian that will receive God's Word as a good ground kind of Christian. Your heart, your receptiveness has to be a good fertile soil for the seed to land on and to take root and to produce fruit in your life. So many people in our churches allow things in the, as I've mentioned before in that series on why every Christian should want good preaching about how many messages we miss and how many times the Word of God is brought into our lives and we just walk out of the church and we've heard the truth and we just simply become so preoccupied with other things that we forget about the message or we don't give ourselves to what we've heard or we just walk out and become preoccupied with other things to where uh, the fruit of the message does not, uh, the seed of the message does not produce fruit in our lives. And so that's not the kind of Christian that we ought to be. The Word of God is, uh, is something that we should live by every word of it in our lives. The Word of God is something that we ought to desire to live according to it every day of our lives. And you and I ought to find a place on God's altar this evening and say, God, help my heart and my life to be a place of good, fertile soil for your word. Lastly tonight I'll give you one more passage and we'll be done. I'm going to try not to break out of the 30 minute zone. Look at Matthew chapter number 26 this evening. Matthew chapter number 26. Look with me at verse number four, uh, 75. One of the few chapters in the scriptures that has that many verses. We all know the account of what has taken place between verse 69 and 75. And here we find the Apostle Peter, during the time of the Lord's betrayal and arrest, he denies the Lord. And in verse number 75, the Bible says this, after the third time that Peter denies the Lord, the Bible says, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, 
Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Hold your place there in Matthew 26, 4 to 75, and look with me in your Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter number 15 and verse number 20. John chapter number 15 and verse number 20. John 15, verse number 20. The Bible says this in, in, in Matthew 26, 75, the Bible says, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus. In John 15, in verse number 20, the Bible says, this is Jesus' words. He said, Remember the word that I have said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, then, will also they, then uh, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not, they, uh, had, not had sin. But now they, have, uh, now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. I remind you of what, ver what verse 20 begins with in these words of Jesus when he says, Remember the word that I said unto to you. If anything is said between these two passages in Matthew 26, 75 and in John 15, 20 about the Word of God is that not only should it be lived by every word of it in our lives, not only should we desire that our lives be lived according to God's Word and be in, in its prospect, not only should the Word of God in our life be received upon on good ground. But lastly tonight I'll give you this as we conclude this evening. I believe that these verses teach us that the Word of God is to be remembered. It's not just good enough that you hear God's Word. It's not just good enough that you read God's Word. I would even go as far as saying this, and there's not a lot of Christians that uh, truly do a whole lot of this. I wish there was more, but it's not even good enough just that you study God's Word. The Bible says the Word of God is to be remembered. I believe that's one of the reasons why the Bible talks so much about meditating upon the Scriptures. I believe the Bible talks to us about the value of memorizing the Scriptures. Why? Because when you read the Bible, and you study the Bible, and you hear the Word of God preached, and you read it yourself, and you take part to take it and to meditate on it, and think it through, and think about uh, what the Lord would have for you out of that passage and then you take the time to memorize the scriptures. You know what you're doing? You're helping yourself be able to remember the word of God. Do you know what made this moment in Peter's life so difficult? It's because he remembered that Jesus had spoke to him. Do you know what produced the conviction and yea, even the repentance in Peter's life following his sin? It's because he remembered what God said about it. 
You know, one of the reasons why I believe there's not as much conviction in our churches and amongst Christians as there should be is because a whole lot of Christians don't read the Bible. And they don't, they don't come to church enough to hear much of the Bible taught or preached. And they don't study the Bible. Amen. They don't meditate upon the Bible. It sits on their shelf. It sits on their desk. It sits on their coffee table until the next church service. And they don't meditate on the Scriptures. And they definitely don't memorize the Scriptures. Do you know for any of you that are interested in memorizing the Scriptures, as someone that spends most of my life in the Bible studying to preach and studying to teach Sunday school, and then uh, just also in my daily life as a Christian, uh, I, there's sometimes that I memorize the Scripture and I wasn't even planning on it. I've heard it preached so much, I've read it so many times, I've studied it so many times that it, it just connects with my memory. When I was in Bible college, one of my teachers, Brother Lee Franklin, that's preached, preached here a couple of years ago uh, during one of the first uh, pastor appreciation services that y'all had come in, uh, he told us in Bible college, he, he, part of our assignments was we had to, well, part of our exam was we had to memorize, not, we had to memorize not only what the Baptist distinctives were, the different points of doctrine that identify us as Baptists, but we had to memorize the scriptures that would along with them to the point to where when he gave us our exam, he gave us a blank sheet of paper. You had to write the distinctive and all of the verses he gave you with their chapter and verse from memory. Imagine getting an exam and it's just a blank piece of paper. Amen. I did a lot of studying on that because he told us that was what he's going to do. And there was a few guys that didn't hand him much back, much more than a blank sheet of paper. Amen. But here's what he told us. He said that how he actually has, he said, I know some of you, because they had older guys and younger guys in the class. And he said, for some of you younger guys, which I was in that group, I was 19 and 20 years old at the time. He said, if you like to use technology, he said, there's an app for Bible memorization. And you can sit there and use it almost like a game. If you like to play games on your phone or like to do little things like you sitting in a doctor's office and want something to do, instead of scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you can sit there with this app and you can type out the scriptures and before long you'll have all, you'll have all of the verses that you set out to memorize and memorized. And that's what he told us to use. And that's what he said he used. And I've used it and it's been a great blessing. So it's not, it's not unattainable. If you can play a video game, you can memorize scripture with certain the technology that's out there. And I thought that was amazing. But God wants us to remember his word. And you say, preacher, why would God want us to remember his word? I draw you back to the very first passage that we went to this evening. And that's Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter number 4. I understand that Jesus is the Word made flesh. So He was probably, as the author of the book, at a little bit more of an advantage than we would be. But think about the context of Matthew 4. Jesus is being tempted of the devil. And the devil has personally showed up to tempt him face to face. Something, I'll be honest with you, I've never had happen to me. 
I've never looked the devil face to face in a moment of temptation. The devil showed up personally to tempt Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus again did not have a celestial show of strength as he, as he uh, called out thunder and lightning from heaven and, added, and, and, and zapped the devil. It's not what he did. You know what he combated with? He didn't take a King James Bible and flip through pages and say, I know there's a verse in here somewhere for this, but I don't know where it is. He didn't pull the, the, the coffee-sized table Strong's Concordance off the shelf and, and have to thumb through its pages and say, I know there's a verse in here somewhere. He did not ask Google or Siri or Alexa what the verse was. He remembered the Word. And he recalled the Word to the devil when he needed that Word. If you'll memorize Scripture, one of the things you'll find out is you'll find out there'll be times in your life that you'll need that verse. And if you've memorized God's Word, you will be more faithful and you'll be, you'll be, more, uh, you'll be, you'll be more able, rather, to combat the enemy with what you already remember and you already have deposited in your heart. Remember, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Why do we memorize the Word? Why do we put it in our heart? It helps us not sin against God. It prepares us for the moments of life. It, it, it prepares us to be able to face whatever life brings and still live for God and still be faithful and still uh, have uh, fellowship with God and not uh, be removed from fellowship because of great amounts of sin in our life. Remembering the Word is a great blessing in the life of a Christian. In John 15, when Jesus said, remember the word that I spake to you, you know what Jesus was telling them of? Jesus was telling them about future days where they would be persecuted, where they would be hated, where they would be despised by the world that they were preaching to. You know what Jesus was telling them? If they would just remember his word, it would let them know what to expect in the future and that they would not be blindsided by the events of their life. Have you ever come to a place to where you simply, in your relation, you came to a place in life and you said, I simply just do not know what to do. It could be that you're in one of those moments where God does want you to get on your knees and pray and ask for direction. It could be that you're just in one of those places to where we just simply don't know what to do and we will not know what to do unless the Lord intervenes. But I would surmise this evening that more times than not, a lot of the reasons why we simply just do not know what to do is because we have not had enough of the Word of God in us to be able to recall it in those moments when we need it. And I think there's a great value to remembering the Word of God. And I hope something that's said tonight just stirred your heart to have a greater relationship with the Word of God. This has been a few words about the Word, and I hope it's been a blessing to you tonight. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. Oh, yeah.